3: Uh, joining us now on the program, he is a host on NFL Network. And in addition to that, of course, you hear him, and I heard him, very almost incredulous excitement with Indiana as they forced overtime with Illinois before the Hoosiers dropped one on Saturday. But here primarily to talk about the NFL is Rhett Lewis back on the program. Rhett, first off, how are you, man? Good to talk to you.
0: Hey, appreciate you guys having me back. Um, it was, uh, yeah, man, it was the uh, euphoria of that comeback was quickly replaced with the utter disappointment of that final touchdown from Illinois. But that was a fun game to watch. I uh, wish it would have ended up in a better spot for IU, but um, there's still some uh, still some trophies out there to be won this season.
3: Okay, speaking of orange teams that wear orange in Illinois, let's shift that to the NFL <laughs> okay. and the Cleveland Browns. Sure. Uh, we were talking about this earlier. Um, Cleveland is, you know, it wouldn't be of a lot of interest in Indianapolis, the fact that Deshaun Watson, we now know, is going to be out for the year for Cleveland, except for that is a team that, as I always say, is kind of in that left lane for the wild card that the Colts are trying to find an opening in traffic to move over. Does this eventually kind of take Cleveland back out of the running for that spot, or do they have enough defense to sustain themselves and hang around in that wild card grouping?
0: You know, the defense is really good. Like, it just, it just, it's really, really good from up up front all the way to the back end. Um, man, it, but I, I think we've seen enough of PJ Walker to kind of know where we're at there. Dorian Thompson Robinson, you know, maybe he gets a shot here moving forward, too. Um, I, that's, that's almost the, the route that I would take there. Um, but I, I think they'll have enough. And they've got a they've got a little bit of a cushion here too, so they've got enough to to kind of try to figure something out and still be in this thing when we get to the fourth quarter of the season. But I mean, look let's let's just let's just be honest. Backups are backups for a reason, and so you know the thing that I would be curious about is um, you know w- what happens in Tennessee, and is there any chance that uh, the Titans would consider? you know, moving on from Ryan Tannehill in a way that the Cleveland Browns could then go trying to make a a push there. I just, I think they need something a little bit more stable at quarterback to ultimately get to where they want to go.
3: When you look, Rhett, at that grouping in the AFC of teams, Mm -hmm. look for the Colts themselves. And I know people here don't want, don't want to hear it this way. I'm going to for the sake of the conversation, we're going to assume that either Jacksonville or don't rule out Houston, but we're going to assume that one of those two takes the South, and that if the Colts want to get in the postseason, that the wild card is their ticket to do so, okay? So amongst those teams in the AFC that are listed as, quote, in the hunt, and it may be Indianapolis, so be honest. Tell me the one right now that you feel like at this point is kind of pretender and you don't think they can sustain where they are right now.
0: Well, I will be honest with you. So like, you leaving you wanna leave Jacksonville and Houston out of it at the moment? Um, because I, I'm not so I'm not I'm not a hundred percent all in on Jacksonville in, in with the way that they've they've played, you know, recently against San Francisco. Obviously I know they were on the, the win streak up until that. Um I really like where Houston's going, so I think they're trending upwards, whether that's AFC South or wild card, I think they're gonna be in it to the finish with the quarterback. Um as far as the teams, you know I think the margin for error for the Pittsburgh Steelers is really small. Um, it's really small because of the way they play offense. Now, they can use that to their advantage, and they can, you know, if they, the way they rediscovered the run game this past week was, was something, you know, that may give them a formula moving forward. But they play good defense. Kenny Pickett takes care of the football generally, and they can, if they run the football, take the clock, Uh, Down, take the air out of the ball. You know they're going to be in games, but again, I think their margin for error is small. So I feel like they're going to have a tough time holding serve as we get as we get down to it. As you look at the explosiveness that the Ravens can play with, and then the Bengals. You know, I know they lost this week, but I'm not counting them out in any in any stretch. So I I would kind of look at the Steelers as maybe one of those teams that's a little bit vulnerable.
4: Our guest is Rhett Lewis of NFL Network, as well as you hear him on the IU Radio Network. Rhett, let's look at the other side of this coin. And Jake and I kind of agree that the other side of this coin is probably too far out of reach for the Colts, but I want your perspective on it as well. Yes, every team is trying to win. No teams are actively trying to tank. Jobs are on the line, both for coaches and players. They're trying to win each and every day they're out there. If things go south on the Colts, though, at 5-5 and Mm -hmm. right now, are the teams below them too far in terms of losses already added up for their draft position to improve in any capacity. Are we past that point at this stage of the season?
0: Yeah, I think you are. Um, I think, uh, you know, look, Arizona maybe starts to make a push with Kyler Murray back. He certainly makes them dangerous, but the Carolina Panthers, you know, like they're not going to improve their roster enough over the course of the next eight games or seven games to truly Get themselves out of the basement. So, like, I think they're destined for number one right now. I'm not sold on the Bears winning a bunch more games. I mean, the Giants, uh, I mean, are just a disaster <laughs> at the moment. So, I mean, like, I, I think you're looking at you're looking at probably you know a selection probably outside of the top ten at this point with where the Colts are um, because they could still win games. You know, Gardner Minshew is is good enough to win some games, and obviously they've got enough talent in the backfield to help them. And then on the defensive side of the ball, I look at this as a really interesting stretch though, guys, uh, for the, for the Indianapolis Colts. Like I look at this as some really like when you come back off the bye, we're talking about the bucks and the Titans, two very winnable games. And then when you're looking at the standings here and you're looking at the playoff picture, the Bengals are the first team out, right? Colts are right behind them, half game back. Uh, So they'll catch up here once they come back off the bye. So, you've got two winnable games and then a chance to go in and kind of control your own destiny. If you, start, if you play well in those two games, you've got a chance to go then kind of control a little piece of the playoff pie and the playoff picture with that game against the Bengals in, what, four weeks now after the bye. So, like, I, I, I look at this as an interesting stretch. Like, it, this is, you know, it's a really good opportunity for the Colts to try to get a little bit healthy, uh, try to work on themselves a little bit, You win those two games coming off the bye, and bang, man, you could be rolling here going into that Bengals game.
3: Rhett Rhett Lewis, NFL Network, our guest. C.J. Stroud talking about Houston in the South. You know, Stroud has been just dynamic, and I loved him at Ohio State. I'm going to be honest with you. That doesn't make me unique, and I hate Ohio State for that matter, right? But
0: that doesn't (laughs) make me unique either,
3: right? Um, But at this point – you know there are certain quarterbacks that, that come out like a house of fire, and then defenses and coordinators figure out their tendencies, and water starts to find its level. Have we mm-hmm. not reached that point with C.J. Stroud, or is C.J. Stroud of a skill set and an accuracy that those things are not going to be applicable?
0: Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's the latter. Um, I, I think he's going to be in the MVP race all the way to the end of this thing. Uh, truly, I, I just you know, he is. The Houston Texans are the first game I watch every Monday morning. It's the first tape I watch because I just like to me, CJ Stroud is must see TV. He has got he is so accurate and has such terrific ball placement. The Texans are one of the top teams in the league in terms of yards after the catch. Is that because they have the best players at those positions to make those plays? They, they're good, but no, like CJ. That's one of CJ's superpowers is putting his receivers in places where they can go, then continue to make plays on the ball uh or with the ball in their hands. So I, I look at him as as kind of a unicorn in terms of rookies. Um I mean I was trying to go back and and uh and think about, you know, a rookie we've seen on a team like this that you know that was drafted really high like that that's come out and played this well. I mean it I mean you'd have to kind of look at Andrew Luck, you know, really um you know who was really good that first year. With the, with the Colts, but I, I think CJ's playing, you know, even better than that, Mark, at this point. He, he is, the, the way he takes care of the football and still pushes the ball down the field, I mean, like, his yards per attempt are up over 10. They've got explosive plays all over the place. I think he is, uh, he is the exception, not the rule on that front.
3: So, I had talked about this, too, and I want your, your thoughts on this, Rhett yeah. Lewis, and that is, Stroud, when he was at Ohio State, was throwing to receivers that almost invariably always had separation. So to me, the Uh, most impressive thing about his ball placement is he's coming off a program where ball placement wasn't even as pertinent as it is in the NFL. Um, A, is that a fair assessment? And B, how do you assess that then for a guy like Anthony Richardson that maybe had to have to begin with that accuracy at Florida, which he maybe did not, but he was throwing to guys that didn't have those windows? Is there as big a learning curve for a Richardson once he gets going in Indianapolis?
0: I think what you're talking about with C.J. Stroud is is fair. I mean, you know, he had the best receivers in the country uh, every year he was there. And um, I, I thought he put them in great positions, too. I mean, like, and part of their greatness is, is because of – is in part because of the way that he played as well. Um, so, yes, on Stroud, as far as Richardson goes um, – He's got to get comfortable with a cloudy picture. Like, that's just – that's all there is to it. Um, He's got to get comfortable with a murkier picture. Now, the good thing is, is that he can survive until he gets comfortable because he can create and improvise. And while, you know, we hope that the injuries stay away and we're not dealing with that again – but I, I think he can. He can. I don't want to say tread water because I feel like that's a that's kind of a negative term. But I feel like he can continue to find ways to move the ball down the field, even uh, as he tries to become more comfortable with seeing defenses in a different way than he did at Florida. So I, I think there is still some time there um, that that uh, Richardson needs that the Colts need and especially now that he's only played a handful of games in his rookie year. Um, But I think it'll, I think it'll come for
4: Anthony. NFL networks. Rhett Lewis is our guest. Rhett, this is kind of a multi-layered question. Are the bills as currently constructed? And this is a team that surprisingly is in that same conversation with the Colts in terms of the, in the hunt graphics are the bills as they are currently constructed, broken. And is Ken Dorsey, another scapegoat in maybe more blame belongs on Josh Allen. More blame belongs on Sean McDermott. Well, taking into account the fact that their defense mm-hmm. has been pretty beat up this year, where does where is the truth amongst all those blurred lines?
0: I, I, honestly, and I don't want to use this as a as you know a a way to, to skirt the question, but I, I think there's levels of blame everywhere uh, with Buffalo. Um, I, I think that uh, Josh Allen certainly wears some. Um, I think that they have kind of been, you know, like a ship lost at sea on offense for the last two years, really, or a year and a half, whatever, going back to the start of last year. It just, it, 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 it felt like a, a team that just hasn't had the type of identity uh, that, you know, that they need to win. You know, you look back at, you know, where they were with Brian Babel and, and when Josh Allen was having those, you know, ridiculous years and the game against the Chiefs and the, Uh, in the championship game a couple years ago. I mean, like, they could throw it deep, but they didn't have to live on it. Like, I I feel like the offense has gotten, and I talked about this with uh, Daniel Jeremiah on our Move the Sticks podcast this week, like, it's gotten way too vertical, and they've relied on that too much, and that's where the turnovers come from. Uh, Now, obviously, the fumbles are a different story, but, like, uh, DJ did a a breakdown on some of the interceptions from Josh Allen, and, and over half of them We're on just misguided decisions throwing deep, And you take some of that stuff away, and you're right back in some of these games that they've lost. So offensively, I think, you know, Joe Brady, um, you know, who was great as a co-offensive coordinator at LSU with Joe Burrow, they went out and emptied a whole bunch, kind of cleared up the picture a little bit, maybe made some some things, you know, a little bit easier to see. And, you know, maybe maybe they do a little bit of that, and, and that helps. Uh, Kind of mitigate some of the turnover worthy plays that that Josh has been out there throwing. Um, But they got to get back to running the football too, uh, which, you know, when they scored on that last scoring drive, man, they ran the football and Josh, you know, Josh ran it in. Um, Now, defensively, look, I I think they've been good enough, but they they can't come back onto the field as many times as they've had off turnovers by the offense. So they cleaned some of that stuff up. I'm not going to count the Bills out of this thing.
2: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
3: Rhett Lewis, NFL Network, is our guest. Rhett, let's go back to the Colts Gardner, shoe. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's the guy that they're going to have to ride out here, obviously, for the rest of the year. Um, some bumps in the road sometimes looks pretty good. Can he sustain or recapture the level of play that kind of kept Indianapolis afloat here? Or do teams now know how to handle Gardner Minshew?
0: You know, like, I think teams do know how to handle, but I think he's good enough to kind of understand that himself. He's a smart enough player to understand, you know, his limitations. Now, the problem is he's like an old, he's an extreme competitor. So like the competitor in him always believes that he can win on every rep, on every throw, no matter the situation. And so it's it's on him to balance that because he is a smart, smart dude. Right? This is a dude that was gonna be coaching until he got called back to um called back to Washington State with Mike Leach. Uh, he is he is a top flight football mind. He's just gotta kind of walk that tightrope between the athletic arrogance that he can have at times, and then, you know, that football knowledge that he does have. So I, I, think, um, I think he'll figure that out. I think the more that we see now and the more that Jonathan Taylor gets comfortable, I think the more you take those situations off of Gardner's plate, which is, which is a great thing for Indianapolis moving forward. Um, but I, I think he's got enough in to take to keep the Colts competitive for that, you know, one of those wild-card spots at the end here.
4: Rhett, what have you made – In your NFL Network duties, I know that you are covering the league as a whole, so maybe you've only seen snippets of him. But in the snippets you've seen, what have you made of Josh Downs and what he's done for this Colts offense as not just a security blanket at times but a real impact player for the Colts in a passing game where you look elsewhere, it's Michael Pittman Jr., it's maybe a little bit of Jonathan Taylor, Alec Pierce hasn't been what they want him to be, but here's Josh Downs like a knight in shining armor and, and saves the game to some extent against the Patriots on Sunday.
0: I love Josh Downs. I love him. And I know he's been a little bit banged up the last couple of weeks, but the fact that he comes through, you know, when they need him to, um, as you mentioned, against the Patriots, you know, I think he's, he's, again, one of those guys that can hit those intermediate to deeper routes. And, you know, if we look at Michael Pittman as more of a sticks guy at times, you know, a guy with, with good hands and can make contested catches can go up and get balls. Downs gives them just a little bit uh, a little bit more. And I think he's given them more of what we kind of thought Alec Pierce was going to be, which is a guy that can stretch the field a little bit, a guy that can get a little bit deeper um, into those depth of targets, you know, for for the quarterback. So I, I love Josh Downs. I think, you know, depending on, on how they figure out a way to keep Michael Pittman around, I think he's a great complement there, a wide receiver. Um, and then uh, I, I think they still need another piece somewhere. Um, I think they – I thought we were going to get a lot more out of the tight ends this year um, than we've seen, you know, so far. Mo'Ally Cox, what, just five catches on the year. Uh, Granson's got 17. It's been a nice, you know, nice piece. Uh, Will Mallory at times, you know, can be a little bit of an explosive threat um, at, uh, at tight end. But I, I still think they know another piece. But, man, they hit it out of the park, in my opinion, on Josh Downs.
3: Rhett Lewis, NFL Network, is our guest. All right, Rhett, I'm going to ask you a college football question now. You ready? Do it. Yep. And I want you to put your your heart aside. You've got to go legi- oh. like literally, legitimately thinking about health, schedule, all factors. You ready? Yeah. The four teams in the college football playoff will be.
0: Okay, um, I think it's going to end up being Georgia. I think it's going to end up being. God dang, I think Ohio State's going to win this thing this year. I think Ohio State's going to find a way to win this thing. So give me Ohio State. Um, give me Washington. Okay. Okay, so they beat Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. Um, I got a feeling that Louisville's going to find a way to beat Florida State if they get into the ACC championship game. I don't know that it's going to get them into the playoff, though. Um, and so I think with that, my, uh, my fourth team, let's keep it, uh, let's keep it right here in the big 10. And let's say that, uh, let's
3: say that we get two in the big 10.
0: Again, we get Ohio state and Michigan, we get Georgia, and then we get, uh, we, we get Washington out there okay. in the West.
3: Let me ask you this. If Oregon yep. was to beat Washington, yep. okay. Which means both of them would have one loss and Oregon would have avenged their only that's loss. A
0: nightmare. A nightmare scenario for the last vestige of the Pac- Pac-12. So, I think it cancels them both
3: out. See, that's what I was going to ask you: is Does it cancel both yeah. out, or do both of them ride in? Because I no. do think yeah. I agree with you on this. I think that with Ohio State and Michigan, I think they could both go in. One of them could yeah. go in, obviously, would have a loss. Now, in the scenario I just presented to you, you have two teams with a loss as opposed to just one. But if Oregon was to beat Washington, do you don't think that Oregon would have enough? Like, what have you done for me lately, Cachet, to get themselves in?
0: Mm, I don't know, man. I just – I don't. I, I think if they end up beating Washington, I think they're both on the outside looking in. Uh, and I know that they're 5-6 and six right now in, this, in, in the playoff rankings. And, and, look, that game I think would certainly help in terms of strength of schedule. We know how the committee has uh, placed a heavy emphasis on strength of schedule this year. Um, and you know what? Honestly, the, the, I mean the best the best scenario for the Big Ten to get to is probably for Michigan to beat Ohio State, just because of the way that the committee has favored Ohio State's strength of schedule this year. Um, it, it, that's probably a more likely scenario to get to from the Big Ten. am um, I'm, re- I'm just really curious to see what's going to happen in the ACC. Um, you know, if, Flo- if Florida State wins out, obviously they're they're in. Um, and so, if they win in the ACC championship game, that that changes the math here a little bit. And I think, and I, look, I'm not going to count Alabama out, you know, either. Um, although, you know, they throw another loss in the SEC championship game on there. I don't, I don't think, I don't think Bama's getting in. But if they beat Georgia, I, I think you could certainly see Georgia and Alabama in there too. Um, so that's, yeah, go ahead, Red. I
4: hate to take you through hypothetical yeah. land, but I'm fascinated by this now. Are, are you sitting here telling yeah. me that if Louisville doesn't stub their toe against Pitt, and they would have won out? There's a serious conversation that they belong in the playoff?
0: No question. Wow.
3: No question. They would have to beat Florida State, right? Correct. They'd yeah. have to beat Florida State. Yeah, absolutely. So they absolutely. would have – so Louisville, if you look at – and it is – it's funny because you think, well, it's Louisville, right? Yeah. But yeah. Louisville, Louisville is – I mean, they are currently sitting at 10th. The pro, you know the yeah.
4: the one loss probably dooms them either way right you're not going to hop them yeah, over yeah, Alabama yeah, no. if they went out right yeah. like they're
3: no
0: no the strength of schedule is going to hurt them there but if they if, if without the loss and if they were able to beat Florida State and hand Florida State their only loss of the season I absolutely Louisville would have been in it. you know
3: the other one that's that's and maybe maybe you mentioned them and I apologize if you did red yeah. yeah. Texas is funny too because like yeah. no one talks about Texas and I feel like Texas actually. Texas has to be looking around at everybody else inside of their little Big 12 party going, guys, come on, help me out here, right? <laughs> yeah, no question. No
0: question. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm I, not going to count them out of this thing. I, You know, obviously, we still got two weeks left of the regular season, but um, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I think the math, you know, obviously beating Alabama helps. Um, the Oklahoma win, you know, at the time, uh, or rather um, – yeah, I, I don't know. Texas is a, is is an interesting one. Um, I think they'll I think they'll be in there at the very end, but it certainly wouldn't surprise me if we see them at five or six uh, at just outside of the top uh, if they win the Big 12 championship game there, just outside of the. There top There is four.
3: zero chance this is going to happen, but yeah. I would imagine back to Louisville for example. I would yeah. imagine that Louisville is like – I mean, they are wearing gold domes and shaking pom-poms, right, because they can't have Notre oh, Dame yeah. lose to Wake or Stanford because that's their loan as of right now. That's their big one. That's yep. their big one, right, and they can't have them slide out of that top 25 and then they're like, oh, man, we really don't have, you know, any cachet. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, that's that's 100%. 100% right. But I'm going to tell you, right, Louisville's got NFL dudes on
0: that roster. Like, uh, I don't know that, that Jack, Jack Plummer is one of them, but he's played well enough to kind of keep them rolling. Uh, Jawar Jordan, the running back, is extremely explosive. Ashton Gelati might be one of my favorite edge rushers uh, of the season after watching him in person against IU this year. Uh, I, the safety, I forget his name, who's like, uh, came in because they had injuries, I think plays really well, is a great nose for the football. Like, they've got NFL dudes, that offensive line has played really well uh, this year. And then, you know, look, Jeff Brown's a good coach. Like, there's that's just – there's no way around that.
4: Rhett, best team in the NFL right now is?
0: Oh, it's still the Philadelphia Eagles. It's still the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, it's uh, – and I just, I just think that they continue to have – like, I, they haven't played their best game yet, and they have more answers, I think, than almost anybody, um, both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. Like, offensively – You know, if the run game's not there, um, you know, Jalen Hurts is going to find ways to make plays. And then they've got just so many different ways to attack you in the passing game. You know, from A.J. and Devontae Smith, which everybody talks about, I don't think we talk enough about Dallas Goddard, who I know got hurt, um, but hopefully he comes back here over the course of the final quarter of the season. Uh, You know, there's just – and Nick Sirianni's a heck of a coach. they got great offensive innovators there. And then defensively, like, they're just deeper than anybody. They're just deeper than everybody along the along the defensive line, and they'll get healthier, I think. But it's just it, – there's just uh, no way around that for me right now.
3: A couple more Indiana games for you to hear, Rhett, yeah. working along with Don Fisher, starting with Michigan State, coming up this weekend, and then, of course, the old Oak and Bucket game. Rhett, a pleasure as always, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate you guys, man. Thanks a bunch. Y'all have a good one. Again, Rhett Lewis, NFL Network.
2: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
4: It felt like a playoff atmosphere. At least that's what star guard Tyrese Halliburton said about the Pacers' in-season tournament victory, 132-126 last night. At Wells Fargo in Philadelphia, a place the Pacers had been unsuccessful in eight years since winning in that building. Five years in that building, I beg your pardon. On the back of an impressive evening from Tyrese Halliburton as well as Obi Toppin. Covering the game as he does every Pacers game day is Alex Golden, creator and host of Setting the Pace podcast on Blue and Gold substack. Alex, I'll start here do you buy into Tyrese Halliburton's quotes post game in that for him as a guy that has never been a part of the playoffs, this was really an entry path for him to get to experience that and taste it with an in-season tournament, high stakes matchup against Philadelphia with them basically at full strength.
1: I'll buy whatever Tyrese is uh, selling (laughs) at this point right now. Tyrese Halliburton is just out of this world playing basketball. And I mean, If this is what it takes to get him motivated, I mean, that's great. It's great to see that these end-season tournament games have meant something to these players. They're taking it to another level competitively, and I'm hoping that we get to see that continue. If they get a win, I believe, next Tuesday against the Hawks, that will clinch them uh, the the East Pool A, so they'll be able to advance and head to Vegas. I mean, that is a nice incentive. You get some extra money, go to Vegas. Sounds like a pretty good plan, and uh, just love the way this team's been playing, though. They've been playing really solid all-around.
4: What do you make of the Daniel Tice buyout? Is this something that surprised you at all on the surface, or does it make a lot of sense given that he's only appeared in one game this year and probably is wanting a little bit larger of a role at this stage of his career?
1: Yeah, I mean, last season you have to go back to when they decided to pull the plug on Daniel Tice after he played seven games for the team and decided to let Jalen Smith, Isaiah Jackson, get that run. And he wasn't happy about that, and then he comes into the offseason, doesn't get traded, and then he has to start the year out with the Pacers, and once again, he's the four-string center. So wasn't surprising to me at all. I think that financially, there just wasn't a good trade out there for uh, the Pacers and the Clippers, and he really didn't play a lot last year, so I'm sure that his trade value was not that high. So coming to a buyout agreement makes a lot of sense. It allows Daniel Tice to go somewhere where he can play and eventually get some minutes, and, and hopefully he can help the Clippers out because they need all the help they can get right now, and – Obviously, wasn't getting any minutes here. He had some minutes against the Bucks, I think, last Thursday, the only minutes he had of the season for the Pacers. So, one of those things where just this roster is too loaded already, and there's guys that, besides Daniel size probably that wish they were playing that aren't. So, wasn't surprised at all that he was let go.
3: You know, Alex, I was surprised by it a little bit, and I'll tell you why. Um, in the moment, you're right. I wasn't surprised, right? Because clearly there was just something that, that was – not working but i i don't really know what it is alex i i thought when daniel tice was acquired and i know that he was acquired kind of as a you know it wasn't like they said like let's go out and try to get daniel tice you know what i mean like he was probably a salary match throw in but um i did think that they had vision of areas where they could use him and and i for whatever reason i don't know you know last year it might have been a health thing But it seemed like they they never really went to that. And Rick Carlisle would know better than I. I get it, right? But I don't think that it was any sort of a, like, round peg square hole type thing, was it? I mean, it doesn't seem like he he was a problem per se as much as just for whatever reason. Maybe it's that point they thought that Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson were better suited for what they wanted. But I still think they could use an enforcer, quite frankly. Am I off there?
1: No, and I mean, honestly, when you think about it, for me, when I look at Daniel Tice, I don't think he fits the style of play the Pacers want to play. And that's fast enough tempo. That's not his style. So I think going to a team like the Clippers makes a lot more sense, a little more slow pace, more of a half court offense instead of a you know, a team that wants to run constantly. And Daniel Tice talked about how tired he was after that game against the the Bucks because Pacers just play at such a fast pace he's not used to doing that. So I, I definitely understand your point of view, and I think that we also just have to give credit to guys like Jalen Smith, like Isaiah Jackson, going in there and kind of proving and edging him out a little bit, even though he was the veteran, because I thought to myself, there's there's a chance he legitimately could be the backup center this year if they're serious about winning because of what he brings to the table, being a skilled player, but Jalen Smith has been out of this role for, for a backup center and what he was last year, so I think that it just makes a lot of sense for why they decided to go this way. But, you know, there there is areas that could have u- utilized him a little bit more, but I, I just don't think he really fit the place. I, I honestly, him coming out after during the Boston game and saying that he wasn't happy with his role, I kind of felt like that was the writing on the wall for him saying, please get me out of here.
4: It felt like last night Alex Golden joins us, Pacers coverage all season long with setting the pace. You can find that wherever you get your podcast. It felt like last night was the perfect encapsulation, Alex, of what the Pacers want to be as the season evolves, which is, sure, maybe our defense isn't perfect, but we know we can outscore just about anybody, and we can get the stops when they matter most. They did it a week ago against Milwaukee, even though Damian Lillard did not play, and they do it last night in a game where both Tyrese Maxey, who gave them fits on Sunday, and Joel Embiid, who always does, were left in check for most of that fourth quarter. Is that the ideal scenario for this Pacers team as the season goes along, that they're able to do just enough defensively, but at the end of the day, there's not many teams that are going to be able to outscore them? Yeah, I
1: mean, that's hitting the nail on the head right there. I think Indiana is one of the best, if not the best, offense in the NBA right now. And they're led by one of the best point guards in the entire NBA, Tyrese Saliburton and so they play to his strengths, they play to the team's strengths, and that's getting out running, playing fast. And when you play fast, it means you're going to score a lot more points so you're going to give up a lot more points. So defensively, yeah, they, they clearly have a lot of work to do, but they've gotten better. You've seen the improvements incrementally. I've been really impressed with Bruce Brown and what he's brought to the table. I think Aaron Smith as well has been really solid defensively. And then it's kind of been hit or miss for Andrew Nimhart in terms of him getting the opportunities to play but when he's been out there i felt like his defense has been pretty solid on the perimeter as well so you're seeing steps by this pacers team defensively it's just they haven't been able to string it together for a full 48 minutes but like you said being able to close games that i thought the way they handled milwaukee you know just a couple of games ago being able to hold Giannis scoreless the final five minutes of that game was just huge and the way they were able to rotate and double-team him and kind of force him left and force him to the baseline and not allow him to get back to the middle where he thrives was just great overall team defense, self-awareness. I mean, Ben Matherin really stepped up big in that game, too. So it's like you're seeing the the baby steps for this defense. It's not all the way there yet, but it does, it does give you a little bit of hope because you know offensively uh, this is a team that's going to really be able to put some points on the board, and I thought last night against Philadelphia – Um, They didn't really shoot the three ball particularly well outside of Tyrese Halliburton, and they were still able uh, to get a big victory. So I love seeing that from the Pacers team, and I think that's what we're going to continue to see is just finding different ways to score offensively and uh, doing their best to maintain the other team's scoring with with their limited defense.
3: You know, Alex, Buddy Heald is a guy that to me is interesting because you know I've seen a couple games now where he's been a little slow. And maybe, to be honest with you, when he was a starter, Maybe when he got off to slow rhythm starts in shooting the ball, it's masked a little bit because it's like within the flow of everybody kind of getting their feet underneath them during the course of a game. But when he's having to come off the bench, there have been times where it seems like he wasn't necessarily the the automatic ignition but needed to kind of get in rhythm more than when he was starting. Do you think he remains a sixth or seventh guy and can find flow at that spot the rest of the year?
1: Oh, that's a, that's a great question. I think projecting-wise is hard with Buddy Hill because he's been really up and down this season. I think you've seen some games where he's been lights down and other games where it's kind of like, why is he out there? And I kind of felt that way last night in the fourth quarter. He had two turnovers and wasn't really scoring the basketball. So it's kind of like, what is Buddy Hill bringing to the team if he's not scoring? Now, he's gotten better as a, as a passer, and I think defensively he's an okay team defender. Not great, but he's okay. In that moment, with how they were hounding Halliburton, I was a little bit surprised that Carlisle didn't go to more of an Andrew Mimhar type player to play kind of a second point guard next to Tyrese because the offense was, you know, a little bit more challenging to get into with how Pat Bev was just pressuring Tyrese the whole time. So for me, Buddy Hill, he's a guy that he's going to get the opportunity because of his shooting ability. He's an elite level shooter. Rick Carlisle trusts him to do that, but I think it's got to be a little bit of a shorter leash if he's not really connecting on his threes and defensively he's not being as impactful as maybe somebody else could be, how can you trust him to be out there in closing moments? Obviously it didn't hurt him last night, but I do think that Buddy Hill, he's going to be fine. We know he's a good shooter. He's not going to be perfect every game, and it is a different role for him. I think he's adjusting to it a little bit still, but overall I I feel like Buddy Hill's in a fine spot, and him as a 6th-7th man for the long term would not surprise me, but I do think that uh, there's other options on that bench that could be 6th-7th man, particularly Aaron Nismith and Andrew Nimhart.
2: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
4: Pacers writer, podcast host for Setting the Pace, Alex Golden is our guest. Alex, 27 points on 12 of 15 shooting with 6 rebounds. The stat line for Obi Toppin last night in the win over Philadelphia. It felt like the type of game that many thought when he was drafted out of Dayton in New York that this is this would be his career, averaging like 25 a night, maybe flirting with double-doubles as well with his ability on the boards, and he would grow into a nice pro. We know why that did not happen in New York. That is not what is being asked of him on a nightly basis in Indiana. While that is nice, where is the middle ground in terms of a, yes, Obi Toppin works in this system if he's doing what on a nightly basis?
1: Yeah, so Obi Toppin even talked about this. I think it was last week after they played the Spurs and he had a pretty good game. He's like, me and Bruce are kind of the dirty the, the dirty workers, and we kind of let Ben, Miles, and Tyrese score the basketball. Well, we saw that change last night against Philadelphia, and he was really able to use his athleticism to take advantage of some of the slower defenders on Philadelphia. And I really liked when they went to the small ball lineup with Aaron Neesmith and him kind of playing the four and the five. They were able to attack Joel Embiid and just – Use their speed to get around him because he's a little bit slow-footed. But you're right, Obi Toppin. It's it's been kind of a hit or miss thing with him too. It's kind of been of a roller coaster ride. Like last night, I think honestly, like this might be a hot take, but I I really do think that was probably the best game of his entire career. We've seen him put up 30 plus points a couple of different times, but those were in, in April when the games didn't matter nearly as much as you're playing teams that are trying to position themselves for a better draft pick. So. For a meaningful basketball game to shoot that well and and to be able to get the ball in the basket and play solid defense, rebound the basketball decently well, I I think that's the ceiling for Obi Toppin. So somewhere in the middle is probably around 14, 15 points a game, maybe five to six rebounds, and just being an efficient shooter. I mean, can he continue to be an efficient scorer and shooter? That's what's going to keep him on the floor. I, I think Rick Carlisle has tended to lean more Aaron Neesmith at the four in closing moments because of the defense. And if we can get better on that end, I, I think that that's going to keep him on the floor more too.
3: Alex, Rick Carlisle calls you on the phone. He goes, Alex, Rick Carlisle, how are you? Hey, listen, um, I've, I've got to run down to Virginia this weekend for Parents Weekend, and so I don't have time to look at a lot of tapes. So I need your advice here. And you go, okay. And he says, can you watch tapes for me and then uh, create two columns? The first column is guys that are elite defenders that it's in their nature to defend. And the middle column are guys that, when they really dig down, are competent defenders. And then the third column, obviously, is going to be everybody else on the roster. Uh, give me the people that are in the first two columns.
1: Okay, this is a tough one. I'm, I'm going to put Bruce Brown, Andrew Nimhard, Aaron Niesmith, and then Miles Turner in, in the ones that I think are the elite defenders of this team. Okay, Guys, guys that can defend when they want to, I think that's Ben Matherin. Um, I might even throw TJ McConnell in the first one. I kind of forgot about that. So I would potentially throw him in there. He's just a little bit undersized, but um, he, he falls somewhere in between. I, I would say Ben Matherin definitely is one that has what it takes to be a good defender. Um, Jalen Smith, I would throw him in there. Same with Isaiah Jackson. They're just a little bit inconsistent for their defensive uh, styles of play. Tyrese Halliburton, I don't think he's in that category. Buddy Hill's not in that category. Um, Jordan Roar is not in that category. I'd, I'd probably say Jairus Walker could be in that category, but he's still pretty well. Same with Ben Shepard, so they're kind of hard to tell right now with where they're at, but I'm trying to think if I've missed anybody. You know, yet, Alex, but...
3: what's what's interesting about Isaiah Jackson, for example, I think there are certain guys that their their natural abilities lend them to naturally, instinctively be good defenders, but it doesn't mean that it's necessarily in their automatic DNA, and Jackson's kind of that way. Like, he is – he is long and springboard enough that he – and and he has a natural instinct to try to, like, block shots, but it doesn't mean that he's always putting his body in the right position or doing it and going about it in the right fashion. The good news is you can't teach the first, right? Right. But at the same time, we're still kind of waiting for the every day to take place on the second, and that's kind of what's frustrating, to be honest with you.
1: Yeah, I mean, Isaiah Jackson – I really think he lost that backup starting spot or back center spot to Jalen Smith throughout the preseason and it's just because of the inconsistencies I think that he's more of a natural gifted athlete than he is a natural gifted basketball player and I know that kind of sounds weird to say but I think that he's more of an athlete than he is an actual basketball player and I think Jalen Smith kind of the opposite where I think he's got a better feel and understanding for the IQ side of the game and you know Isaiah continues to to show steps that he's taken and steps and ways that he's improved. I think that the rebounding has gotten better. I think he had nine last night, if I'm not mistaken. Um, the Like you talked about, the instinct to block shots has been really big. It's just his inability to stay out of foul trouble has been what's kept him off the floor. And I think that that would be something that could change if he was a better defender. So like you're saying, I, I agree with that that stance because if he was a better defender, then he would have the IQ to learn how to position himself and not to always get in foul trouble because it seems like it's a reoccurring thing with him uh, just to get in foul trouble and just not positioning himself the right way and not knowing when to take the right foul and when to let things go sometimes. So I think that's the, the case for Isaiah.
4: Alex Golden is Setting the Pace joins us. You can subscribe to Setting the Pace wherever you get your podcast. Alex, with Tyrese Halliburton, he's 23 years old. And it feels like that what he's able to do on a nightly basis, whether it's his pure scoring ability or his pure facilitating skills, he's going to be able to deliver in multiple different ways for the Pacers night in and night out. As you look at where his development can continue to ascend, I won't make you cap what he can do, but but where does the growth go from here as the Pacers hopefully start to hit their stride, not just in the in-season tournament where they're in the driver's seat, but really setting a solid foundation and building on their seven and four record.
1: Yeah, I think we're kind of seeing it this year already, but it's just kind of knowing when to take over a game and when to be a scorer and when to be a passer and kind of figuring out when he needs to be one or the other. And I think last night we saw it in the first quarter, he came, he comes out and hits four or four from three was really looking for a shot early on, which allowed him to be more of a passer later on in the game. So I think, that's just like a fine balance like he's got a really high basketball IQ so I'm not really worried about that the other part I think when Buckner mentioned it on the broadcast Sunday was just the defensive effort like he had a mismatch where Tobias Harris had him in the post and he completely just bowed down to him and didn't even really put up any type of fight so I think that there's a there's a point where Tyrese you know he's never going to be a great defender um, especially on ball I think he has the potential to be a decent off-ball defender with the ability to shoot the gaps and, and create steals but as an on-ball defender, I think there's a way that Tyrese can improve and just get a little bit stronger in that area because you can't—you know—he's a skinnier guy, but you can't have guys just bully you in the paint that easily, especially when you're six foot five. Like he's got a tall enough frame that he should be able to handle those guys a little bit better. So I, I just think defensively, if he can really take that next step and just be more of a, uh, a capable defender instead of just a, a, someone that other teams are targeting, that's what's going to help him elevate his game to the
3: next level. Alex Golden, you are how old, a guy? I am thirty-one. Thirty-one years old. Your birthday's when? August twenty-seventh. August twenty-seventh. Okay, so I'm gonna we're gonna do the little game here where you're gonna close. Are you driving right now? I am driving. Okay, well, I don't want you to close your eyes then. Okay. (laughs) Um, Okay. But I want you to. We're we're gonna we're gonna take ourselves a little voyage into the future. Excuse me, into the future here. Okay, so in this voyage. Alex Golden is watching a Pacers game, and it's late in the game and on the floor getting a key play, a key rebound, and then later hitting a key shot is Jarris Walker, the young player for Indiana that was selected within the first 10 picks of the 2023 NBA draft. And he helps Indiana close out a key game or just a game in general, and they win, and he was a key contributor, and Jeremiah Johnson grabs him on the sidelines and interviews him, and they talk about it. And he goes on, and you, and everybody says to themselves, that's why they drafted him. He's arrived. You are how old in that scenario, and it is what time of year? Great question. I'm going to say I'm 32 years old when this happens,
1: and I'm going to say it probably happens in, let's say, December of
3: 2024. Okay, so 13 months from now, right? Yep. Okay, same, same scenario, but late in the game they – Tyrese Halliburton is doubled, and he kicks it out to Ben Shepherd, who hits a couple, hits a three, and Aries like, and that's three threes now in the fourth quarter for Ben Shepherd, and Indiana now leads by seven. And you turn the game off, and you go out to dinner, and you're like, Hallelujah! You are how old? And the windows are up and down because it's warm or cold outside. Okay, well, just to kind of keep it consistent, I, I think there's going to be a
1: big roller. I think it's going to be a bigger roll. For ben Shepard next year because there's a chance Buddy Hill might not be back on the roster so I'm gonna say the windows are they're gonna be down because this November weather has been nice but I think it's gonna be a home game in November next year I'll be 32 years old and we're gonna have we're gonna relive kind of a Chris Duarte moment with Ben Shepard and he's gonna have some some big moments coming off the bench being that uh, eighth or ninth man off the bench and the Pacers are gonna really uh, had a nice spark from
3: his three-point shooting. Speaking of that, I haven't seen. What's Duarte done this year? Do we know?
1: Uh, it's not been very good. I think he even got hurt, if I'm not mistaken. I, it's been a while since I checked in. I, I, he was starting at one point, but I don't think he was doing that anymore. That might have been preseason. So just trying to find him ways to, to get with Sabonis. The last time I did check, I, I think it was a, a did-not-play-coach's decision. So, yeah, it's
3: it's not looking good. I think he's averaging around like five points for the year. Uh, Alex Golden, by the way, Setting the Pace is the podcast, is our guest on the program. Uh, Alex, so far, what's maybe what's pleasantly surprised you? I mean, Tyrese Halliburton, play, you know, his play has obviously been the storyline. But what has pleasantly surprised you about this team?
1: Yeah, I, I just think that the effort they play with, it's one of those things where they don't allow things to really get them down. I think they just have a good spirit about them, a good energy about them. And we saw that kind of last year, but they've taken it to another step. I mean it's been a little bit under the radar and if you look at the box score you're probably not impressed that much but i feel like bruce brown has just been a great addition for this team and what he's been able to do defensively you know it's been kind of weird to see how many guards they have and it's it's tough to get enough minutes for everybody at this point because you know mather i think he played like 16 minutes last night after just having you know a great game two games ago against the bucks but it's just been the collective group effort from everybody stepping up but if there's one individual or two that have really stood out to me I got to go, Aaron Niesmith. I think Aaron Nesmith has just been fantastic for this team, and I know totally you were talking about it at the beginning of the show. He does whatever the coach asks of him, and, and it's whether it's be a scorer tonight, be a defender tonight, be a dirty worker tonight. He doesn't care. He just wants to. He just wants to go out there and win basketball games, and I think that's what was awesome. Whenever they did the exit interviews last year, he said, "You know, Pritchard was like, we're not sure if he's a six man or a starter," and he said, "I don't care. I just want to do whatever the team needs me to do." And you can't find enough guys like that that really impact winning. So, you know, I've just been, I've just had a bit of a crush on Aaron Nesmith and how he's handled himself, how he's brought, you know, played this year, how he's brought himself uh, to this point in his career where he's just, he's a a pivotal piece for this Pacers team and their
3: success. Now, Alex, I I gotta, I gotta ask here because I'm not necessarily what one calls good at context clues, but I think I just got some there. Did, did you just drop in? The humble brag that you were listening to this show at the beginning of the program.
1: I did. I was checking it out just to see what y'all had to say about the game last night. Did, I was curious.
3: Did Did you find it to be uh, educating and entertaining in any way, shape, or form, <laughs> or intriguing?
1: I mean, it's always entertaining
3: with you, Jake. You just never know. You're always on the edge of your seat. Well, yeah, sure. Now, Alex, and I got a zero bar for you, by the way. There's your payment. uh, I'm I'm re-gifting. So, but here's my question, Alex. Somebody just sent me a thing, because you've been on with me when I was on the morning show before Andy took over, right? Um, Yeah. And somebody just sent me a thing that said, basically, since I've moved from the morning, now I'm a jerk. Now, Now, is that true? Would you agree with that? You're just more awake. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so does that make me more a jerk? Are you saying that I'm that like naturally as the day goes on, I get more jerkish as I wake up?
1: No, it's it's not. You
3: know, what's actually really funny. Is
1: I had somebody uh, stop me and they were like, uh, like, I heard you on the radio and I was like, oh, how'd it go? They're like, oh, it was good. They're like, Jake was making all these predictions about the Colts and guess what? He was wrong again. And I just started laughing. They're like. They're like, I don't know why Jake thinks he knows everything. So, I don't know. Maybe it's story of my life, right? Put Here's the thing, guess, though, Alex. I mean, when you
3: do radio, this is what's funny. When you do radio, you can be right 364 days a year, and you're wrong on the 365th, and then people are like, that guy's wrong all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's how it is with doing the podcast. I mean, you have a take, and it doesn't totally. play out. And it's just, like, you live
1: with that for the rest of it, like, it's like despite all the times I've been right. Like, the guy that called in,
3: was, we were talking about Jim Harbaugh, and this guy calls in and is like, I don't know why you guys are talking about this. It's a nothing story that's going nowhere, and everybody else has moved on from it. And three hours later, the guy gets suspended for the year. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, was that, like, you know what I mean? guess it didn't matter. I don't
1: know. I mean, just big news all over National Football League or College National Football League. So, it's yeah. like, people are just – People are just interesting sometimes. You can't win, you can't lose. You you win some, you lose some. It's just you can't please everybody. I've learned that the hard way through doing the pod. And I, I almost
4: and everything. Oh
1: I said goodness.
3: seven six Colts over the Patriots, and I was that close, Jimmy. You know, uh, I was that yeah, close, I right? Was, I was
4: rooting for your seven six know, in the final seven eight minutes of that wrong game again, Alex. If you could change one of the following about the in season tournament, and you can only pick one, and that's how it's going to be for the rest of its existence in the NBA, what would it be? The time of year it takes place on auto playoff and or play in spot is given to the winner or the courts are fixed.
1: Okay, so I actually like the courts. I know they need to get a little bit uh, safer or whatever, but the Pacers had had too many issues last night. So that's good. I will say that the one thing I would like to see change is potentially the time of year, because November is a weird time. And I feel like people don't take it as seriously um, in terms of, like, the fan base is turning in tuning in all the way. I think they could make it bigger instead of just four games of pool play. I think they could expand it to maybe eight games and see if it gets a little bit bigger. I I don't really know what else they can do, but, I mean, I'm enjoying it. I think the players have taken uh, it seriously enough where it's gone to another level. But at the same time, you just wonder, could it be a little bit more impactful if – there was more games added to that pool play and maybe made it a little bit more of a like a series like maybe both those games against the 76ers count for the play in instead of just one
3: since your last name's golden and the pacers are blue and gold that i'm going to take them out of the equation here what's your favorite sports team that uses gold as a color uh, besides the pacers Yep. i don't even know if i really have one well, who, who do we got to work with here you got golden state obviously you got Notre Dame. Yeah. You got the Lakers, right? Um, I'm not going Lakers. I mean, I guess I'll go Notre Dame because they're home, hometown, but I don't Boston know. Boston College. That. How many people outside of Indiana, like if you stopped 100 people on the Las Vegas Strip and asked them what state Notre Dame is in, how many would say Michigan? <laughs> I have no idea. What, what do you think? Jimmy, how many people do you think know that Notre Dame is in Indiana?
4: I think it is less than I'd like to think. Correct.
3: Uh-huh. Correct, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, I. It's more than fifty out of a hundred, yeah. probably. Um, Alex, what do you got working on the podcast? Yeah, so your buddy Derek Schultz is coming
1: on tonight. Oh to talk boy! With us. Okay. Well, sorry I asked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then Rob Mahoney, who wrote that piece on the Ringer, he'll be he'll be joining us. And uh, we should have some more guests coming up this weekend as well. And then uh, this year, I've also started a blog called theblueandgolden.substack.com. And I do a 10 thoughts after every game, so it would be great if you guys could check that out. Everything on there is free. Um, I do have payments turned on if you'd like to make a pledge, but there's no incentive to pay me to read my work. I'm not going to do that. And then lastly, I should say this, uh, we we sparked up a partnership with Ripple Bagel and & Deli and Broad Ripple. Lo- and that place is village. awesome,
3: by the way. Did they still have the David Letterman?
1: You know, I'm not, I'm not quite sure, to be honest with you. But, but they've got something with them, you, right? yes they have a sandwich called the setting the pace so it's um, uh, it's salami turkey and provolone on a garlic bagel with lettuce cream cheese and provolone i'm telling you it sounds like a lot of cheese it sounds like a lot of mess but it it is worth it and it is uh they, they definitely do a great job of giving you a, a lot of meat so it's one of those things where me and my wife went and tried it and it was phenomenal so i'm, I'm encouraging everybody to check that out and if you go down there and try it, let them know you heard about it on the podcast, and they will give you a free side drink or dessert. So nice little incentive there to go down there and get you get you a sandwich.
4: Alex, appreciate you as always. Looking forward to following the coverage the rest of the way. And, hey, driver's seat of the in-season tournament, Setting the Pace, one of the best places to go get that action. Enjoy the rest of your evening.
1: <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much. We'll see you.
4: It's Alex Golden, host of Setting the Pace. And he's right. I mean, it feels like from a – Overall standpoint with where the Pacers are at, everything that we said about the last two years of losing and this being a leap forward year, so far 11 games in, they have very much put themselves in a position for it to be a meaningful season.